you're like a train and you're going from one place to the other. That's life. And people come in and out of your train compartment for a short duration, for a long duration. They're in and out. But you are the train and you have to get from one place to the other, which is the only constant that we know. So what are we trying to hold on to the people that are coming in and out? And that includes family. It includes um, friends, the family you choose, the family that choose you, the ones you're born to. It doesn't matter. This is a solitary journey and the purpose of it is to be joyous. And that's, that's only you hold the key to that. I believe that each and every one of us has the power within ourselves to create the life that we really want. And I want to help give you the tools to make that happen. I'm Danica Patrick and I'm pretty intense. Today on the podcast is the beautiful Priyanka Chopra Jonas. She has a new book out called Unfinished. She's a really deep soul. She has an inner knowing. Her inner compass is just so well calibrated that she came into this life with a head start. Like she just gets it and she has wonderful perspective. And I think it's through people like her that we then can be inspired to live more um, like that person, to be happier, to have a higher opinion of ourselves or the world itself and more autonomy in this world, which is what leads to happiness because all we have have is ourselves. So we talk a lot about that and I'm leaving this conversation feeling super inspired and I have a feeling uh, you will too. So please enjoy today's episode with Priyanka. In Indian culture, are things very spicy? Yeah, Indian food is very spicy. Um, predominantly spicy. It can be made without spice as well, but the natural nature of things is that it would be, it's um, it's an explosion of flavors. So various different masalas, various different things always make towards a really full flavor. Like That's where my love for hot sauce actually started was when I started traveling outside of India and, um, you know, food outside of India was always so bland for me. It was just like boring. So like, just like roast chicken and vegetables, I was like, <laughs> hot sauce came in handy. And that's where I started loving it. <laughs> So do you travel with hot sauce? <laughs> I usually do have hot sauce everywhere. It makes all my, yeah, it makes um, like our dining table will always have a spread of at least four or five. And I, I collect them from different parts of the world, wherever I travel. The oh. Caribbean, definitely. Um, but like I always get a hot sauce from whichever country I go to. <laughs> yeah. Like what would you... I mean, you've lived in so many different places. This idea of home is a concept that I think about a lot just because I remember, you know, in the last few years, people would ask me, where do you live? And I was like, um, like, where do I pay taxes? Or like, where was I born? Or where do I own homes? Like, what do you mean? Where, or where do I spend the most time? Right. Um, do you feel like you have a home? I did feel like you exactly for many years. Um, I think for the last about 15 at least uh, years, I've not lived in a home that I owned. I've moved around. I've lived in like mm -hmm. rentals. I've lived in hotels. I've, um, you know, just been a nomad because I went wherever my work took me. Yeah. Um, and, but after I got married, you know, I was really craving sort of just a home and, I also wanted to know where all my shit was, honestly, like my shoes, I, if with different places around the world or storage rooms. And it's like, oh, these shoes, the red shoes are in Mumbai or they're in New York right now. And that's, you know, it's just really annoying. So um, 
this year during quarantine, actually, we moved into our house. Um, it's like the first house where I've put roots down actually in LA um, after years, I think, of being completely nomadic. So now home as a concept, I understand. Um, but I didn't for a very long time. I can definitely relate to that. What do you... Um... What do you love about being home now? And then like, what do you miss about the nomadic life? Cause I feel like I'm, I have a home, but it's funny. I've been traveling a lot. These, like I've been gone for a month. And so, you know, there's an aspect of me cause I'm single for the first time in 16 years. And I'm like, I'm also feeling nomadic in that way that I can just pick up and go. And I don't have to answer to anything or anyone other than my sister. She likes to keep me accountable, but, um, <laughs> but other than that, so like there's, there's a, there's a duality happening with me right now, but there's a fun aspect to both. So now that you like have a home, what's the best part about that? I think just one knowing where all my stuff is and um, realizing that, you know, there's actually a real joy in having a place for everything. Mm. Everything that you own has a spot. And it's like, this is where my shoes go. This is where my toothbrush goes. This is where, you know, my napkins go or whatever. And um, I didn't see the merit in that when you live out of a suitcase at all. You know, there's such a chaos to that, which is beautiful too. But the, the sort of ease and comfort of not living in clutter is sort of freeing almost. I feel very liberated um, at having a house. You know, it's full of my dogs and friends and family and um, it's it's my space. And there's, there's a sense of stability in that, which I didn't know I was craving. Mm. And what I did miss, because last year I spent almost, you know, six, seven months at home, which was a great joy being able to build your home, you know, together yourself especially because my, my, both me and my husband are independent careers are crazy. Like we're always in different parts of the world. So that was a real blessing. But um, what I missed at that time was, um, you know, uh, hotel rooms and room service what? and housekeeping. Wow. Do you like cooking? No, I hate it. Ah, that makes sense. <laughs> but I love the, I love the little chocolates on, on your bed. You know, I love having a menu and being able to order from the menu and comes to your room while you're in your pajamas. So I was suddenly like, it was so funny. I was craving that. (laughs) Eating in a robe is so nice. And you know what I also love about room service is if I order a lot of things, I'm not judged. (laughs) Or if I'm well, or at least they won't tell you. (laughs) At least they won't tell you they're judging. I'll just say it's for two and they'll be like, you know, they won't you know go. somebody, not somebody else coming and just two minutes. That's a good idea. Yeah. I should be that. Like I should be, I should do that. I usually feel really guilty when I'm ordering a bunch of stuff. I never thought that I could actually say two and they wouldn't know. <laughs> you said two waters, you know, a free water. Yeah. Two, yeah. You know, you just, you can have extra silverware for that apple that you need to cut in the morning. I mean, it's later or in the middle of the night. It's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Trick, trick of the trade. Now, now that you live in a house, um, yeah. Was there anything emotional that came up when you, like, had that move-in moment? When you kind of did you hit like a point in time where you thought, um, where you felt almost like the pattern, the pattern of being gone all the time was uncomfortable. Yeah, the first time I took a flight out of LA after being at home for about six, seven months, Mm. I didn't want to (laughs) go. I was terrified. 
I was um I was really emotional. Um I was filming a movie and I was going to Europe and I was super emotional of you know having to leave my dogs, my husband, my like stuff, my home. You know, I I sat in almost every room for the last two days uh of the house just cuz I was feeling really like I really really felt such a sense of gratitude and joy for the you know 6 months which could have been so daunting um which could have been just you know terrible and it was terrible for a lot of people in the world but um that space just made me feel safe and comfortable mm. and you know covid wasn't gone anywhere when i was going to work in october so it was it was like leaving your safe cocoon <laughs> how long were you were you were you leaving for a long time too probably Oh yeah, I left in October um and now I'm in London and I'm here for a year. Oh my god. Are you working in London or are yeah. you living in London? Yeah, I I I was working I I am working in London. I finished at the production of another movie and I'm starting a TV show now for Amazon. It's called um the Amazon TV show is called Citadel and it's uh, with the Russo brothers and it's phenomenal. It's got Richard Madden and some amazing um cast that's come together in the movie and um it's going to be sick we're filming it in you know we were supposed to film it around the world but technology has reached such an amazing place that we can manage both mm. um but yeah we'll be filming that to the end of the year very excited about it what do you think about london no i actually really love london it's really tragic to see it the way it is it's in full lockdown right now and um no one's allowed to go anywhere um essential services are allowed and filming is allowed so we can go to set and back yeah i had a, i had a flight going somewhere else that was through london and it got canceled like i booked it a couple weeks ago and it got canceled already um and it's for next month strictly shut down right now that's nuts the world is crazy i mean it's so just scary you know um i keep i've been in a very massive bubble for the last year between you know being very just staying hunkered down at home when i was in la to even being on a film set being on a film set is like worse because you can't do anything you can't meet mm-hmm. anyone um because you know if if something happens like to me and yep. the movie shuts down for a really yep. long time yeah so i like actors yeah i actors are fully isolated i've in fact kidnapped my mother and i've made her stay here she's been dying to go back to mumbai she was here for the holidays and now i'm just like no don't leave it's really daunting you know um like going for me even going on a set knowing that everyone on the set is tested um almost every day or every second day it, it's just every, all of it feels scary like when i go out for a walk um you know mm-hmm. you walk away when somebody's walking past like beside you and it's just yeah. it's such a weird thing and i i'm very curious i think that the mental health um toll that this year is going to take or covid's going to take on people is something that we're not really prepared for yeah. or we haven't thought about as much i fear it's becoming the norm you know like people like it's more it used to be more shocking to look out and see people in masks and now if you don't have one on people look at you and they're like you know it's becoming so much more normal and i don't know my intuition tells me that's the point um 
I don't know, it's this fear state is just so scary. And I, I such compassion for the people, especially like, I feel like I've been very fortunate that I don't have a lot of people that I have to worry about as much. Like I don't have a set, I don't have a team, I don't have a group, I don't have um, like um, older, older, you know, parents or grandparents that I'm seeing all the time. But for those that do, man, it's a real, it's a real, it's an accelerated issue beyond just going to the grocery store. It totally is. I mean, I was, especially when we were in LA, my husband is type one diabetic and that makes him susceptible. Hmm. Uh, you know, my mom's older. I have asthma. Um, we were extremely paranoid and careful. So hence the level of fear being sure. even more when you actually have to go out into the real world, but also craving it. I miss being able to just do dinner, you know, um, just like everyone else's, I'm sure. But can you imagine what makes me feel better is imagine when the influenza, the Spanish flu was happening, they didn't even have the internet. Mm. At least we can look at each other and, you know, FaceTime and Zoom. That's true. Um, can you imagine living at that time when there was a pandemic? Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I, it's funny, I didn't really think about it from that perspective, but I did look back at the last pandemic being that one and look how long it went for. And it was kind of almost a year and a half. And so, you know, I don't know, I've heard other things that this sort of scenario, this dynamic in the world could last longer than that, just um, from for other reasons. But I mean, especially given the fact that, you know, your mood and your attitude spills over into other into your work and uh, into other people. And there are things that you do that help you feel better or like elevate your mood. I mean, do you, are there certain things that you take? Are there certain practices you have like meditation or yoga or working out or is there anything you do? Or is there a mantra? I do. I have gotten really consistent with working out. I never had that kind of consistency before. And now I crave it. I need it. I'm aware of my wellness. Um, I'm eating cleaner. Um, I'm taking care of my immune system, making sure I have my vitamins, making sure I have, you know, ginger lemon tea, um, which is always good to have. I swear this is, that's what this is. It's not coffee. But I think just being, looking inward was very helpful during this instead of, you know, looking for feeling good outwards. Um, I, I spend a lot of time on healing myself. That's hence writing the book. Like the book for me was really a process of healing. Like there are things I've talked about that I've forgotten that, you know, popped up in my memory because I was writing a memoir. And um, because also I was in a vulnerable place, I guess, just like everyone in the world feeling, you know, the weight of the world, it really sort of helped me feel a sense of pride for what I've achieved, a sense of pride for the life that I've lived, a sense of ease um, um, and, you know, calm and, and really gratitude. Uh, mm. It was, a, it, the book was a really, really healing experience for me. What were some of those things in the book that um, surprised you that came through? Um, just like talking about my childhood and how, how that contributed to the person that I am today, um, especially like the travel and what my parents stood for. Um, I also think like looking at my struggles through my career, you know, sort of dissecting my failures, talking about my grief, sorrows, 
rejection, sadnesses. I just, I've never been an open person as an actor, you know, but it, 90% of my life can be um, for public consumption because I chose a public job. Okay. But 10% will always be mine. And I've always been very protective of sort of um, my feelings and uh, my friends and my family. Of course, I speak to about, you know, all those innermost thoughts, but I've never like put it out or spoken about it, even in interviews. To me, this is like the in-between interviews book. Everything that I um, have not publicly spoken is in there, I think. That surprised me. I didn't expect myself to be ready to be so open. I feel like I've like excavated my childhood, like inner child, inner child healing. Uh, I've, you know, explored those aspects of my childhood that were limiting in my expansion mm -hmm. and in my happiness. Um, and I, I went back to Indiana, I, which I think I've read that you lived in Indianapolis or Indiana, mm -hmm. right? I did. I went to high school in Indianapolis. Oh, so funny. So I went back to Indiana for, um, for the summer with my family. Um, and I was, you know, very broken and vulnerable from, you know, heartbreak. And I went back and I was like wanting them to apologize for certain things and admit certain things. And my therapist ended up telling me nobody holds the keys. And I was like, Oh shit, that means I have to do it all. And I think that's the sad thing about like that sort of expansion is that it's really up to you and that no matter what anyone says, it's really up to you whether or not you can sort of excuse or forgive or move on or choose to look at someone or something in a different way. Um, so I'm curious um, if you're willing to share just some of those things, because my parents are wonderful and I'm, I never thought like, oh, my childhood had issues that were going to come to the surface. But I think we're similar in a sense that, you know, you're a very strong, um, opinionated, um, confident, articulate, intelligent woman. And, um, you know, it's, it's this, it's admitting that there are sometimes things that had happened in the past um, that limit us. And um, I'm just curious of what those things were um, because, you know, strong think, tries I, to be strong all the time, but at the end of the day, the vulnerability is where the progress is. You're absolutely right. In fact, I, I've dedicated a big chapter in my book um, about this phase that I went through. I was also, um, you know, nursing my father's death, uh, who was very, very close to me, um, my biggest champion, my biggest cheerleader. Um, and he died very young at 63. And I went right back to work. Um, I didn't deal with it. I didn't think about it. I also was nursing a heartache. Um, I also was, I'd moved to America. I was in a new country. I didn't have any friends. I just left Mumbai and a thriving career there. And, you know, starting right at the beginning with the TV, sh with the TV show that I did called Quantico. Mm -hmm. And it was a very solitary time for me. And um, I didn't seek help. I should have maybe. My t that period for me lasted a good two years and it was a period of darkness. And, um, you know, sadness is seductive. Mm -hmm. it, it pulls you closer. It's like Ka in the Jungle Book. 
You know, it's like, trust me, come here. And so easy to wallow in self-pity and, um, you know, think about what could have or what should have or, you know, what, what made me behave this way and blaming myself or looking for a reason. And your therapist is very right. I think, I think two things. What I did was I allowed myself to feel all the things. I cried. I stayed home. I didn't meet friends. I incubated for a long time but all I did was work like I went to work and there was nothing else outside of that except me and my feelings um I cut ties with people and the second thing which I did which really was helpful was I I didn't make it about anyone else it didn't matter what happened to me why I behaved a certain way it didn't matter why the other person behaved a certain way it didn't matter it just mattered where I was going Mm. I sort of let go myself of the burdens that I insisted on carrying. It was, it's my journey. It has nothing to do with anyone else. You're born alone. You're going to die alone. And I believe that, and I opened the book with this because it was a big realization for me that, you know, you have, um, you're like a train and you're going from one place to the other. That's life. And people come in and out of your train compartment for a short duration, for a long duration. They're in and out but you are the train and you have to get from one place to the other, which is the only constant that we know. So what are we trying to hold on to the people that are coming in and out? And that includes family. It includes um, friends, the family you choose, the family that choose you, the ones you're born to. It doesn't matter. This is a solitary journey and the purpose of it is to be joyous. And that's, that's only you hold the key to that. And that doesn't mean you don't feel shitty and you shouldn't feel bad. But if you allow yourself to feel bad and you allow yourself to feel something and not always have to be tough and strong and make excuses or find reasons for behavior, whether that's good or bad, according to you, I think it's just a sense of just letting it all go and focusing on today and how beautiful today is going to be and what you feel like doing today. Listening to your body, your mind, your heart is very important. Going easy on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So well said. And so wise to learn that lesson. Um, some people never learn that lesson. Yeah, I know. And learn that perception becomes reality. Some people never grow and evolve and some people stay as you so like beautifully said, sadness is seductive. Some people stay addicted and swirling in that sort of codependency of emotions that um, never lets them out. And to me, I mean, to me, that's hell on earth. I, I think heaven and hell exist right here. They're in the moment that you can feel joy and elation and, and, and awe. And then they're also on the other side of things where it's um, sadness and lack and jealousy and, you know, just anything that doesn't make you feel good. Um, I don't, are you, what is your, do you have a spiritual practice or religious? I mean, what is, um, I'm Hindu by religion and, um, but I'm my, I'm more spiritual than religious. I believe I've been raised, um, religious of course, uh, and on holidays like Diwali and I'll do the pujas that I need to do, which are prayer ceremonies and stuff. And maybe every day I'll, um, we we have in Hinduism, we have like a tangible prayer thing that you can do, which is, you know, um, you light an incense and you have little statues. Um, so it's like, it's tangible, you know? So I do that every couple of days whenever I can. 
Um, but my relationship, I think, with God is of supreme belief. I really do believe that whatever your face of your faith is, it all leads to the same place. You know, mm-hmm. faith is, it's, it's a journey. Mm-hmm. Faith is, um, it's, it, it's all taking you to that feeling, you know, that larger, higher power um, that can exp- you know, that, that explains the things that you can't explain. There's so much inexplicable in, in life that even science can't explain. And I believe that there is a higher power. I believe that there is something called destiny. And I believe um, in fate. But I also believe um, that we're the sum of our choices mm-hmm. as our life goes along. And fate will put you in front of an opportunity. But it's up to us to recognize it and then to act upon it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think is our purpose. But my spiritual sense is having, you know, a conversation. I started recently, actually, during quarantine. Um, my husband and I started doing this, and I now do it with all my friends, and I'm going to do it with you too. Oh, I love um, five things you're grateful for today. Today, not in life, not forever, but just today. Oh, you mean if you do that every day? Yeah, just do it. Um, coffee uh mm-hmm. rain that's happening randomly in arizona which it never happens because it makes everything wow. and beautiful um a platform that gives me an opportunity to speak to someone like you um a shelf full of books that i'm looking at that help expand my mind um and, you know, something that I actually was thinking last night that I thought I feel so fortunate for, and sometimes I just take it for granted because it's been so long, but just purely the means to do anything I want to do. I mean, I'm so fortunate. There's, I just don't have that burden. And that's, uh, that's pretty unique. What See, about you? Isn't it amazing though? Yeah. I do that. Like I'll randomly just ask friends or family or text, and it just makes you, puts you in such a place of gratitude because there's so many things that if we start counting we don't have Mm. but if you start counting what you have you'll see how much more you have than a lot of people and that just puts life's balance in Mm. check for me um well for me would be um my movie just came out um really grateful for that my book just came out really grateful for that being able to have a job at a time when go to work at a time when, you know, a lot of people are not being able to go to work. Um, Health, mine, my family, everyone's been healthy, safe, which is great. And, um, you know, again, like being able to choose what I want to do in my life. I think I'm grateful for that every day. To me, this puts you in a sort of an open, more open state, a state of receiving. Mm-hmm. Like they, I think they say that gratitude is sort of the ultimate sort of place to receive. Um, and I think about like a spiritual practice, I think about, and it makes me kind of think about signs and synchronicities. And when you start to get open, then you start to see those things a little bit more easily, whether they be numbers or a certain person that you thought about pops in, they become synchronicities instead of coincidences or perhaps nothing. I mean, I think when we're like, so in our head and so in negative thoughts, we um, are, it's hard to be present enough to notice the things going on around us. So I'm curious if you've had um, synchronicities um, in your life that have 
really like turned your life or have um, jumped out at you, um, jobs, relationships, anything like that, that um, you can look at now and just say that was meant for me. My entire so career is like how it started. <laughs> I did not think um, I had no intention of being in the arts ever. I didn't think I could. I didn't think it was a job that real people do. You know, no one in my family had ever been in entertainment. And I was like, that's like a specific kind of people. That's not me. I come, I came from a very academic background. My parents were doctors. Everyone in my family, like a good Indian family, were like lawyers, engineers, doctors, you know, academic. Um, and I was good at math and um, physics. And I was very fascinated with tech. So I wanted to get into that. Um, but I'd come back to India after living in the U.S. as a teenager. And uh, when I moved back, my brother, who was 10 years old at that time, was kicked out of his room. So that because I was 16, my dad was like, well, she gets the room. Obviously, you're 10 years old, you're a boy, it's fine. <laughs> I naturally didn't argue with that. <laughs> he was really mad at that. And I think he, we used to always watch the Miss India pageant at home, you know, just like family, you watch like Miss India, Miss World, whatever. And I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what his 10-year-old mind was thinking, but he saw an ad for that in one of the magazines that my mom reads. And I would just gotten some photos, you know, mall shots, just for fun, like hand on face, soft focus, yeah. them taken. Yeah. And he brings those to my mom and he's like, you know, I think we should send her for this pageant because then she'll move to Mumbai. <laughs> and my mom, to appease him, sent those pictures I got selected for Miss India and you give me a competition and I'm going to like run. And I treated it like a race, but I'd never modeled before. I'd never walked around in like stilettos, forget wearing stilettos, sari and jewelry and hair. Um, but I learned really quick. I won that pageant. I went from Miss World. I won that pageant at 18. I started getting movie offers. I'd never been on a movie set before forget knowing that you have to read lines, stand on a mark, have 400 people watching you and yet be able to perform and all the things. Like I was thrown into a big budget movie with big actors back in India and kind of had to learn. And I, I always felt like I had this invisible sort of push in the direction of the arts. And I just felt so compelled to take charge of it, even though I didn't have any knowledge of it. And that to me feels like, you know, a crazy thing that the universe has conspired for me to be where I am today for so many reasons. If that hadn't mm. happened, if my brother at 10 years old didn't want to kick me out of the room, I probably wouldn't have been here. <laughs> this is that power. Like To me, this is the inner knowing. This is like um, also maybe something that you believed. Is this something that you truly just believed? I think was I for believe you? in excellence. And I believe even if I wasn't in the arts, even if I went into engineering or wherever I went, I would strive for excellence. So it just happened to be that I was in the mm -hmm. arts and I said, all right, I'm going to put my head down. I always make a couple of plans. I have plan A, plan B, plan C. I never put all my eggs in one basket. I have multiple verticals I work in because I'm not someone mm -hmm. who'd be like, all right, just in case one thing doesn't work out, I have something else <laughs> to do. Um, wow. that's just, I've, that's been my nature. So I feel like whatever field I would have been in, I would have 
treated it the same way, like as a student, you know, constantly learning, constantly evolving. This sounds uh, heady. This sounds intellectual. Um, are there, like I have, like I'm, I've tried very hard in the last year. My, I have a word of the year every year and last year it was feel. And so it was about kind of getting out of the head and into the body. And um, does that, does that like make you think of anything? Do you feel like your choices and your actions come from um, a feeling or a um, A little bit of both. I mean, you you want to make God laugh, tell her your plans. So I don't, I don't plan so far. <laughs> I plan for the day. Um, I plan for opportunities. And like, I don't know five years, five months later, even where I, I don't where I am because my job requires my schedule to be set way ahead in advance, but I don't know what my ambition will be. Because I'm always trying a new thing. I'm always like in the flux. Um, and that I think is my body. So the idea of being excellent is from my head. And recognizing opportunity is in my head. That's so crucial because so many people are so in their heads that you miss opportunity when it comes in front of you. And opportunity is not going to break your door down. It may even be a small little knock. It, it's, an, it's something that maybe you create for yourself. By recognizing opportunity, it could even be a person that you know that has an idea or idea that you have that you've been sitting on and not working, you know, thinking about it. There's a gap in the market and you recognize it. It's recognizing how you can propel yourself into your ambition. It's recognizing that you are ambitious. If you want to get somewhere, you've got to make a plan to work backwards. And then if it works out, at least that's great. If it doesn't work out, at least you gave it your best shot. But that's how I treat it. But every day when I walk out of my house or my bedroom for now, we don't walk out of our houses, but when I walk out of my room every morning and I have my cup of coffee, my plan is I look at my schedule for the day and I'm like, all right, this is what I'm doing. Where, what do I want to be feeling at the end of the day? And I kickstart my day, no matter what I am feeling like, even if I'm bogged down or if I'm tired or upset, I kick my work off. Like if, say for example, I was doing the, hot wings and I was dying. Um, but I know that when I'm coming on to speaking with you, what your podcast requires and what this show requires, and it's my job to be able to deliver that to the best of my ability. And I take that attitude, which is my body, um, feeling a sense of providing the best that I can in everything that I do. That's a really good yeah. bridge of the two. Cause it does take that, right? Cause you can't like Eckhart Tolle would say, like be present right now. I'm like, I can't get anything no. done there. Like you can't, if you're not thinking about the you future, have to do both. About the past, you literally do you have, you have to do both and then both. give it up. Like you have to plan it. It's almost like um, when I go to set and I have to memorize my lines, I memorize my lines three, four days before. I don't do it um, the day of never or the night before. If it's an important scene, you know, because muscle memory is a very important thing. It like you put it in there. And then you're free to sort of play with those lines. You're free to act because you already know the technique and the things that are supposed to come out of your mouth. So in the same way, you make mm -hmm. a plan, a larger plan. Okay, this is where I want to get in a year. Or this is where I want to be in the end of the year or the end of the week or whatever your time limit is. And figure out the plan of working backwards. If you want to buy a car, how much is the car going to be for? 
what, how do I break up my payments? How much do I need to earn to make sure I get this car? We all plan like that. That's how we have to plan our lives. And then mm. let it be. And take every step yeah. and try every rung should be an attempt at providing excellence in that one thing. And then if it works out, great. But it's never going to be bad because you've, you've made a big picture plan and you're sort of following what's best for you. That's, that's yeah. manifesting. Yeah. That's manifesting at the highest levels. Just set an intention and have a plan because you've now connected with the future self that has right. the car or has the job or whatever it is that it, but, but then that, that, that element of detachment, that's the hard one. Like, I feel like I live in the future so much that I feel like people tend to be one or the other. And I'm guessing you're probably a bit of a futurist, um, a future caster, um, and then there are people that live in the past and they have a relationship with their memories and they can't move beyond that. And sometimes the future um, vision doesn't allow you to be nimble um, because you're so attached to an outcome, but it's in that detachment moment where you can just go, and it is what it is that you release then that grip on something having to be exactly but How can we have it. that grip? I mean, we, how can, we can't control anything but ourselves. And for any ambition or any goal that we have, it involves multiple people. Unless you're doing something alone. Mm -hmm. And if yeah. you don't depend on other yeah. people, fine. You can have stream like control and grip. If you depend on people, there's probability and there's chance of it not being according to what you want. And that that's true for relationships. That's true for professional work. That's true for aims and ambitions that we have to make a plan, but you can't have a death grip on it because then you're the one who's going to have, you know, pain in your arms and it's your body that's going to take a toll, not the thing. The thing is going to do what the thing is going to do. Do you have a story about some time, some point in time where you did like hold on too tight or an example of a story where you set that intention and it manifested in a totally unique way that you could have never seen. I mean, maybe, maybe Miss World um, was. But. Yeah, Miss World was never. <laughs> how did that even happen? I still can't sometimes get over <laughs> how that happened. I can't. I'm looking at you. I can see exactly how it happened and I'm listening to you so I can hear oh, exactly how kind. that happened. But um, I think that, you know, um, yeah, I guess I. As much as I'm talking about we shouldn't have a death grip, a you know, tight grip, I do sometimes because I expect a level of excellence and perfection from the things that I do. So I expect it from the people around me. And I hold on really tight to this the pace at which I want the result, the pace at which I want that excellence. And if I were doing it, I could do it a certain way. But, you know, there are things that you can't control. And I have to check myself a lot of times saying that this is you holding on really tight. You can't control it. You know, I have to check myself through the day multiple times too, where I'll see myself like really reacting to, oh, you know, or getting frustrated or discouraged by something not happening the way I would want to. And then you have to sit back and say, all right, that's when the gratitude game really works. All right, I mm. got this done today and I got that done today and that happened and this thing was amazing, you know? So it's all right if like one thing didn't happen. It's not a, a testament to the whole. 
um and you've got to like you know keep it checks and balances with who you are and how you're behaving it's never about anyone else it's such an inward the you know dvf diane von fossenberg always says the best relationship you have the most important relationship you have is the one with yourself because no one else can control how you feel if we build a habit of sort of looking inwards instead of you know expecting joy because of people or validation because of work or um you know then it's always going to be an unhealthy you know you're going to be a hamster running but never getting anywhere um and it's okay everyone goes through that phase and i think we have to tune ourselves to sort of listening to our bodies listening to our minds um checking ourselves having conversations with ourselves treating ourselves like we would treat our best friends you know giving like how we would give our best friends advice and being like girl you're behaving like that girl you're doing this you know it's the same thing you're your own best friend we can be really sweet to ourselves sure but in those moments sometimes even when i do it i'm like it's sometimes uncomfortable it's almost more comfortable at and more comfortable to be the critical one to be the judgmental one because you're always trying to excel or be better do better um or maybe it's just a habit i don't know i think i i i have those thoughts why is it so hard for people to be compassionate and kind it's like it's literally human nature forget even ourselves it's in other people if you know we, we can't kindness is we're so afraid i think as human beings of getting hurt of um of failing of being rejected of being you know refused those feelings um are so scary to us that i think we become like porcupines trying to protect our heart yeah. in slapping away all the negativity your energy is so tied up that you don't even know how to be nice to yourself and by being nice to yourself i don't mean you know a face mask and a pedicure i mean like actually not berating yourself for the choices you you feel compelled to make i mean it's so clear and speaking to you and seeing you over the years and diving a little deeper before the interview to know more about you that um you know there's such a clear strength and confidence and um you know we're all human look i get it like I'm, you know there's there's aspects always right but um and so i relate to it in a way and i'm just so curious what your experience is um sometimes it's like sometimes it's judged sometimes being a strong woman is um has its ups and downs have you like what have you been what are your experiences with that whether it's in the business world or in relationships i think um, strong women are and still unfortunately quite an anomaly because you know we have to teach our daughters that it's okay to be tough and it's okay to be strong and we have to also be as women four times stronger or harder or tougher in jobs where you know there are not too many women um especially the kind of jobs we aspire to be in business in tech in governance in um you know high powers of position um high positions of power and i think if you have that ambition it's it's an anomaly it's still not normal it's still something that people look at and is like oh my gosh she's strong you know why should that should be like that should be such a normal thing so that you know if we we 
teach our girls around the world that they don't have to conform to what society sort of expects women to do, you know, um, whereas you conform to your individuality and not the expected, um, I, would, I would say, pressures that, you know, the world has put on women in general. And that's changing. It's changing with conversation. It's changing with, um, you know, people like you, people like me having that conversation about it's okay to be vulnerable, it, but it's also okay to demand respect uh, if you're not getting it. It's okay to demand opportunity if you're not getting it. It's okay to um, create that for yourself and ask for your rights and pull yourself out of circumstances that are defined for you. And, um, you know, I truly have always believed that it's the responsibility of each generation to leave something in the world that's sort of better for the next one. Our children shouldn't have to inherit our battles. And this is a big battle for us females and um, the position of women in our society and um, being able to create and have opportunities, equal opportunities, you know, equal pay, um, equal rights on our lives around the world. I think that's our generation's responsibility. What do you think I have some opinions about just sort of like what's going on in the world? And <clears throat> I have, I feel as though there's um, a calling for a balance of masculine and feminine, not only within culture, but within ourselves to cultivate this balance. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I believe that, I mean, what really is masculine and what really is feminine and who's defined it? I believe in individuality. I believe that, you know, everyone should be able to choose how they love, should be able to choose how they express, should be able to choose, um, you know, decisions um, in conform to what we've been taught. It should be, if you think about what, and I believe, like God created the world. So we're not in tune or in sync with each other. Our minds are not telling us to have the same opinions. So why are opinions so herded? Why is herd mentality? Like if someone says something, we have to agree to it and we have to conform. I feel like conformity is it's so unfortunate um, in a beautiful world like ours, which individuality is so interesting to see the greatness that each human life can bring, the ideas that he, each human mind can create. And um, that should not ever be defined by gender, ethnicity, and these things, which like are not in your control. Like that's just how you're born. What mm -hmm. is in your control is how you live your life and what, how you choose to, who you choose to be. And that should be the freedom we all look for. I feel like this is sort of in you. So I want to ask you, like, how do you, how do you cultivate that? But I almost think this is so, such a natural thought for you. I think so. I, I, um, I don't think about, like, I'll do the most feminine things and I'll do the most masculine things. And it's just confusing for people around me. And I get jokes all the time. Like my closest friends are like, you're basically a man. And like, you know, other, sometimes my friends would be like, never would expect you to do that and it's so like girly and you know but I've, i'm not defined by either or like i do what i like 
So then my next question is how do we cultivate that, right? Like how would, as a, if you were giving advice based on sort of having a little bit more of an observer perspective of how you're able to access these aspects of yourself that are truly just individual to you and just true to yourself, then how can someone start to embody more of this uniqueness that is them without trying to put a label I think on it, it's a practice it's not something i mean it's not something i knew in my 20s it took me to be in my 30s and with maturity i think um i started realizing that you know i only have me for the rest of my life to keep me company everyone else is sort of you know transient mm. and um i think it's very and i you know meditation and hinduism i know for sure um teaches that and a lot of religions sort of and spiritual spiritual teachers talk about sort of letting go of the burdens of you know that we build for ourselves and it's basically practicing that it's practicing yeah. and recognizing that you are your own nucleus like if you think about molecules you know there's one nucleus and everyone else is sort of moving around you you have your own protons neutrons like sorry science kids i'm going to give you a science <laughs> metaphor but and then you are your own nucleus and the person walking in front of you that person is his own nucleus and you are your own nucleus and it's not we're going to interact with each other we'll procreate we'll you know do more together but at the same time i'm in the center of my life and my choices i think you start practicing that mindset then you stop being defined by people's um expectations of you and you don't require validation from other people except yourself and that's such a freeing liberating thought it's if you practice putting yourself in that position every day even for a couple of hours you start feeling that way you walk out of your morning when you have your morning coffee you're like you know this is my life and everything else including my children my family my job everything is because i am here it all exists mm. because and give yourself that importance because your life is important each life is a gift and we've got to you know understand how the gravity of that and treat it with that kind of love and joy because i'm i would say that i err i have erred on the side of being codependent so have i i me too <laughs> oh you're human um <laughs> um but you know that being quite simply as in in layman's terms because it's such a like you know, I heard codependency. I'm like, I'm not codependent. I don't need anybody, but it's, it's the, the nuance, the nuance of it is that you rely on someone else or something else to make you happy. That's basically. It. And I remember starting to write down every day, like, okay, hmm, let's write down five things that I want to do for me today. And I was like, um, exactly. Make him breakfast. Nope, that's not it. Um, and I, it really was hard to like think of five things every day that I wanted to do for myself. But for me, that started to be the practice of like um, more of that autonomy, more of that uh, nucleus sort of um, visualization uh, of my day. But it's but it totally is, hard, but you can still, um, you can still need people. You can still love wholeheartedly. Because that's the only way to love is to give. You know, you give fully, you love fully. Um, if you want to make breakfast for someone every day, it's okay to make it as long as you want to do it. You see the difference. Did you want to do it or did you do it because that'll make the other person happy and hence will give you validation and make you feel happy? 
that's the difference. Right. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, my therapist, it's some real, she said some real gems for me, um, <laughs> as they do. Um, and she's, she said that, uh, you can love unconditionally, but relationships are conditional. Do you agree with that? I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want my guy cheating on me <laughs> like those kind of conditions right exactly <laughs> so innately there's yeah. a condition right innately there's a condition um, definitely then. i think uh, by by unconditional i guess we've used unconditional as a word rather um freely but i think unconditional in that sense really means that you know i love you for everything you are um and if that includes but I guess there is a but of, you know, but these are the things that don't work for me. If you're going to be in a relationship like that, people have their own various individual relationships. Right. But I think um, they're definitely conditional and it's okay for them to be conditional, but loving when you're in a relationship, I believe again, like, you know, the train thing, people come in and out of your life. So everyone, as soon as my dad died, I realized I was like, Oh, no one's around forever. The person I thought that would mm. always be cheering for me when I won every award or would always be like, oh my gosh, you did this movie. And like he used to get embarrassingly excited about things that, you know, um, that happened in my life. And suddenly there was silence and that noise was gone. Mm. And, and I felt abandoned, alone, but it was death and I couldn't be angry. I couldn't be mad. And then I realized that death is the extreme version of the transient relationships that we have in human life. What does forever really mean? How, how do you know you have to do the best you can in the time you have with each other? And when you know that you gave it your best in that relationship and you did everything you could to be right, to be happy, then you can very easily walk away with feeling a sense of lightness you know you'll reach a point in your heart mm -hmm. where you will feel a sense of lightness because you have to forgive yourself it, it wasn't your fault you know mm -hmm. some things don't work out whether that's a relationship whether it's a job it's supposed to be in your life for just that duration and you learn something from it and then it's like a it's like a scar you know it's you wear it like a medal instead of something ugly you have really wise perspective and um i'm curious if you feel as though you have an awareness to what your purpose is i don't know what my larger purpose is i just know that it's to be happy every day and i think you know i'm grateful to have the gift of life i'm very grateful to have the gift of my life um and I work every single day to make sure I better it. And I feel a sense of purpose by in what I'm doing. Um, my work gives me a big sense of purpose. Um, it's my greatest pride and joy. It's self-made. I built it on my back, my blood, sweat, and tears. And, um, you know, I take a lot of pride in it. So that gives me the largest sense of purpose is as every time I push the goalpost a little further, or every time I break a glass ceiling for myself, I'm just like, you know, it, it makes me feel like waking up the next day and doing something else. If you were to imagine 
think about how you would be remembered. Like, how do you want people to remember you? What do you want to have uh, accomplished or done that would leave your stamp on the world? Well, I mean, on the world, I would hope that um, I'm remembered for having contributed to the arts. You know, I've been doing it now for 20 years. And as a producer, as an entertainer, um, an actor, and all the, like the business and all the things that I'm doing, I... I hope to, that I'll be remembered for having pushed the needle in the right direction because it's been my quest. I always try to walk the path that, you know, or push um, norm, not just for myself, but for people who look like me, girls, women, because I had to do a lot of that. It shouldn't be so hard um, to get to create opportunities. It shouldn't be so hard for us to get where we want to get um, when it's so much easier for you know, a specific kind of people or a specific gender. Um, so I hope to be remembered for having contributed to pushing the envelope in the, in the arts. When people read your book, Unfinished, what do you hope they take away from it? For people who know me, I hope they get to know me a little bit better, a little bit more than just a headline or a fashion meme. Um, and I hope for people who don't know me that... Um, they see that, you know, I'm, I was a young girl from an unassuming family in a small town in India, and I built a formidable career that I am proud of, that I wanted to achieve, that gives me a sense of stability and comfort in a career that's not stable, actually. You know, we don't know where our next check's coming from. You have to hustle for the next job. But I feel a sense of competence in my abilities. It took me 20 years to get here, but I do. So I hope... That for the people who don't know me who read the book, see that if I can do it, anyone can. I have no doubt that they will. And congratulations. Writing a book is oh, such a... Girl, it's ooh, so hard. There's a lot that goes it's into so it. It's so hard. I feel like you're a really cool girl, and I wish we could have done it in person, but... We're definitely going to when the world you know, gets normal. You and I are both here, and we're definitely going to be able to sit together, have a cup of coffee, and chat, because I love talking to you. You're very insightful. It's really nice. Yeah, thank you. So are you. I mean, you have an uh, inner compass, an inner wisdom um, that's, you know, an, uh, more of an evolved old soul sort of sort of soul where you just have an inner knowing. Um, you have an evolved consciousness that, you know, is just a little bit more ready for the world. Thank God. Otherwise, I would have buckled a <laughs> long time ago. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.